Hey there, I'm Caitlin Bailey, and you're listening to Listen Up, a podcast series that shows you how to get more out of the music you love. On today's episode, we're looking at the relationship between text and music and why they're so powerful together. I know that my friends are split right down the middle about whether they're more drawn to a song's music or lyrics. I, personally, am first struck by the music's lyrics. I'll even read song lyrics by an artist that has been recommended to me first before listening to their songs. I think everyone has an opinion on this matter. We're each seemingly drawn to music or lyrics first, but we might not necessarily know why. Music and text have been partners in crime for a long time. We know ancient Greeks would play their lyres to accompany long tales of adventure called epics. Monks in medieval castles would chant their prayers and ancient French troubadours would wander around from town to town to tell their lovesick woes through song. Music has often been called the universal language. I've heard lots of people say this, but like most things in my life, I've tended to overthink this sentiment. A language, by most definitions, includes the word communication, meaning that a message is conveyed by someone, and then the same message is received by someone else. But like the childhood game of telephone, the message can get miscommunicated in the travel from the provider of the message to the receiver of the message. When you learn any language, like French or Spanish or German, there are four basic ways in which a message can be communicated or received. The message can be written down and then read, or the message can be spoken and then listened to. Music is similar to this sentiment. Music can be written down by a composer and read by a performer, or played by a musician's instrument and listened to by an audience. In this sense, music and language are the same. But where these two concepts differ lies underneath the surface. Unlike language, which has a specific meaning, like a person saying, bring me a ham sandwich, please, and another person understanding this and bringing the first person a sandwich, music does not have a specific concrete message that people can understand every time the message is given. For example, listen to this. asked all of you what the meaning was of that piece, I'd get many different answers. Does it mean, I'd like a ham sandwich, please? Or maybe it's, watch out for that zombie behind your back. The world may never know what the message is, or even if there is one. The idea of music and meaning has been written about by different philosophers over the centuries. Philosopher Immanuel Kant published The Critique of Judgment in 1790 and explored this very idea. His stance was that instrumental music with no words was trivial. He called music a mere succession of tones because no concrete message could be determined. But let's fast forward just 30 years in the future when philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer wrote his book, The World as Will and Representation. Schopenhauer says that music is at the very top of all the arts for the exact same reason that Kant thought it so low. Because music has no concrete meaning, it can tap into all of the experiences and thoughts and messages that are not communicable through language as we know it. In other words, music communicates what we feel directly without having to translate into words. These two philosophical arguments go back to our initial question of why some people lean more towards lyrics while others lean more towards music. For example, for myself, I know that I like the resolute feeling that comes with solving a puzzle or figuring something out. This might explain why I'm more drawn to lyrics. I like the concrete message that is conveyed in them. 
But for someone who might like more mystery or to create their own personal meaning, they might be more drawn to the music as this is less concrete. One big question that I've heard a lot of people ask many times is how songwriters go through their process of writing music. Do the lyrics come first or does the music? As you can probably imagine, the split between lyrics and music also exists for songwriters, not just listeners. For example, singer-songwriter Sia has an interesting approach to her songwriting. Remember this song from 2012? Shine bright like a diamond Fine light in the beautiful sea I chose to be happy You and I, you and I We're like diamonds in the sky While the song appeared on Rihanna's album, Unapologetic, Sia wrote the lyrics while producer and songwriter Benny Blanco wrote the music. The craziest thing is that Sia wrote these lyrics in 14 minutes. According to a Rolling Stone interview, she gets dozens of tracks from producers sent to her, and then she writes the lyrics after hearing the music. She keeps a list of topics on her phone, which are usually words like bubblegum or liquor or titanium, which was another hit song she wrote in 2011 for producer David Guetta. And then she'll go through her list, pick a topic, and then start writing words that might go along with it. We can hear this in Diamonds, where we hear words like shine and sunrays and shooting star. Sia actually credits this process to her success. She thinks she's more productive than talented, so she can put out songs at a fast clip, throw away the ones that are terrible, and enjoy the success of the good ones. In complete contrast, Bob Dylan, who was voted top songwriter in a Rolling Stone poll a few years ago, and recently won a Pulitzer Prize in literature for his song lyrics, said the following in a 1965 San Francisco Examiner interview. The words are just as important as the music. There would be no music without the words. I do the words first. I know what music I want when I hear the words. But sometimes on a gentle instrument, like a harpsichord or a harmonica, I hear the melody first and know the words that should fit to it. That never happens with the guitar. It's too hard of an instrument. So for the most part, Dylan wrote his lyrics first. Can you tell that he wrote the lyrics first on his song, Like a Rolling Stone? This song defined a generation as so many people connected with the message of his lyrics. Everyone has felt at some point like a complete unknown rolling along like a rolling stone. In classical music, composers usually have to deal with text that is already written. And there are two main ways that classical composers set text. The first is called text painting and literally makes the music do what the text says. This was wildly popular in the Renaissance, particularly in a style called the madrigal. For example, you can hear this in a magical called As Vesta Was From Latmos Hill Descending. The first line talks about Vesta descending down Latmos Hill, so the melodic contour is descending. The second line talks about a maiden queen running up the hill at the same time that Vesta is descending, so the contour ascends. The 
Shepherds follow the queen up the hill, first two by two, then three by three. Listen to the number of voices raised as the lyrics talk about the number of people following her. Then they leave their goddess all alone so there is only one voice singing. And finally, the text concludes with Long Live Fair Oriana, where there are long held out notes to signify her long life. Madrigals are a really fun genre, and many choirs around the country are devoted to this specific type of music. The second way that classical composers commonly set text has to do with more with setting the tone of the words rather than the specific actions within them. A beautiful example of this is found in a piece of music that was sung at Princess Diana's funeral called Song for Athene, written by John Taverner in 1993. Taverner's friend passed away in a cycling accident, and upon leaving her funeral, he had the musical idea for the piece of music formed in his mind. He turned to an Orthodox nun, Mother Thecla, to write the text, and she took ideas from both the Shakespearean play Hamlet and Eastern Orthodox text. There are only six lines of text. The first five talk about asking the Lord to keep a spirit in his mind as it comes to heaven's gate. The music is in a somber tone and sounds quite religious. Take a listen to one of these lines, which says, Give rest, O Lord, to your handmaid who has fallen asleep. But the last line of the text changes tone, saying, Come, enjoy rewards and crowns I have made for you. Taverner does an absolutely mesmerizing shift in tone at this point. Listen to this line being performed. Both text painting and setting a music's tone to match the lyrics are wonderful ways to set music as they really pay homage to both the text and the music and mingle them together. One pop song, which is often included on best song lyrics polls around the internet, is Stevie Nicks' song from 1975 called Landslide. In a 1992 interview, she said that she wrote the song in just five minutes, which is pretty incredible. It sounds like both the lyrics and the music kind of came out of her mind all at once. What is beautiful about this song is the way that the music sets the tone. An acoustic guitar helps to set a nostalgic picture, while the lyrics contemplate changes throughout a lifespan. In this example, listen to the melody's contour as it leaps upward, then steps downward several times, 
and finally stays at the top. It illustrates how someone might introduce change into their life, slowly and perhaps sliding backwards, before completely changing the course, always questioning if it's the right move. Listen Up is produced by Nelson Vandenberg and Katie Russo and presented by the New Haven Symphony Orchestra in partnership with the University of New Haven and WNHU 88.7 FM. For more, visit newhavensymphony.org.